Week five, God can't lie. Little bit of review so that we're all caught up. We're in this series, Solutions, God's Solutions to Man's Problems. Because man's got a lot of problems. And we tend to always try to figure out our solution to the problem when God has a solution to every issue. I promise you that if you've got a problem, God's got a solution for it. Because he's that good. And he, believe it or not, God's pretty smart. There's so many issues. Y'all all right? Y'all better loosen up. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of controversies. There's a lot of debates. And there's a lot of mixture in the world today. And I think some of the biggest mixture is in the church. There's over 5,000 denominations in the U.S. alone. That means there's five different 5,000 different spinoffs and belief systems of what they think one truth is. And that just don't make sense to me. You can't have 5,000 versions of one truth. One means one. In the Greek, the Greek, the Hebrew, the English, one means one. There's one truth. And we are on this journey of, of going into Romans, which is basically the crux of of all theologies, if you look into belief systems, everyone bases the belief system off of this book because when Paul wrote it, he didn't know he was going to get to Rome or not, but he knew that his ultimate goal and his ultimate call was that he was supposed to get his voice into Rome and that the Romans needed to know what the, the kingdom of God was supposed to be and what the kingdom of God looked like. So he wrote this letter with that idea, this is the kingdom of God. Amen? So he wrote this letter to the Romans and said, this is what it is. And what churches and theologians have done is many people have taken one verse or one idea and have made a total belief system out of it. For instance, last time we were in Solutions two weeks ago, I preached a message called the comparison trap. Because we love to take one scripture out of Romans that says don't judge. And we say, as Christians, we are not called to judge. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is a righteous judgment and an unrighteous judgment. And in Romans, it was talking about don't give an unrighteous judgment. In other words, don't compare your general morality to people's obvious immorality. Don't point out the obvious immorality of homosexuality when you're gossiping about their homosexuality. Because when the Bible says don't sleep with the same sex, he also says don't gossip about what they're doing. And Christians love to talk about their obvious stuff when you're sinning yourself and you're so quick to point out their obvious that you get in a trap called the pause where you're not growing because you're so focused on what everyone else is getting wrong that you're not taking an inventory of where you need to grow. Well, coming out of that, in the last two verses of Romans chapter 2, he's, he, he is going line by line about how law does not save you. Law does not save you, amen? And the last two verses of Romans chapter 2, it says this, because I want to make sure that we're, we know where we're going in Romans chapter 3. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. Now remember, there is no Greek nor Jew. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile. We are all the people of God. 
And he says, you are not a Jew. You are not a child of God. You are not the people of God just because you were born into a Jewish family. You're not a Christian just because you were born into a Christian family. You're not saved just because you went to church all your life. You're not saved just because you go to church every week. You're not saved just because you go through all the ceremonial rituals called the church. Because there's a lot of churches who do church right in their eyes, but they don't know who God is and is certainly not displayed through their house. I saw a picture this week of a beautiful church built. It had the steeple just like every church. You know, it's got the what man thinks that God thought that the church was supposed to be. Four walls with a steeple that's like twice the, the, the height of, of the church. And the, the picture of the church was on the cliff. And as people were walking in the church, they were falling right down. Because it was a church built on no foundation. Because everyone has their idea of how it's supposed to look. So we go through our ceremony of church, but no one knows what the ecclesia is actually supposed to be and what it's actually supposed to do. He says, just because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision and born of Jewish parents doesn't mean you're a Jew. Verse 29, no, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. A true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. When it all comes down to it, a changed heart leads to a life that reflects the law. Not, let me get law right to convince people of a changed heart that truly has not been changed. Because see, that's seeking the praise from people. You want everyone to notice things you get right so you get the praise of people of, you are so good. You are so godly. You are so godlike. You glow with the countenance of the Lord. But you never have a conversation with God and you never talk to the man upstairs, but you're obsessed with getting everything right on the outside when really you have no passion to do any of the things that you're making sure you're checking off getting right. You don't want to be at church, but you go to church so that everyone praises you for being at church. Right? It's not let me get the law right. It's let my heart be fully immersed in him that my natural reaction to things starts to flow from that relationship with a supernatural God and my new natural reaction that flows from a changed heart starts to look like the law that I would have never had to read or hear Because the scripture says the moment you get immersed in my heart, I will write the law on yours. So when you get baptized or immersed, not necessarily even the literal baptism by water, but when you get baptized or immersed in my heart, your life will look like the law that I gave to the Jews. Is that making sense? But that poses a question because if I was in the times when Paul wrote this and was speaking to me and I was a Jew and I had the law, I would have had a question. Well, why the heck did God give me the law if it don't save me? 
I think that's a pretty legit question. Well, what's the point of first Jew and then Gentile? If this ain't going to matter, then why do I have it? And that's how Paul opens up Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? I would have been asking the same thing. Hold on now. We, we've been building stuff just for you. We've been doing this stuff right. We've been, we've been doing the circumcision thing. We've been, we ain't been eating pork, and those pork chops smell pretty good. We've been doing all this stuff. What's the advantage, dude? Right? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Because that ain't exactly pain-free. Is that too real? Okay. <laughs> Verse 2. Yes. There's great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Paul just carefully explained that doing the law doesn't save you. So they're like, what's the advantage? What is the advantage of being a chosen people who got the law? God, what is the point of Jew first and then Gentile? And for those who have the ability to read the law and read all the commands, what's the value in it if I don't have to get it right to be saved? Where's the value? And we ask that same question today. Well, if I don't have to do law, then why do I have to understand the Ten Commandments? Right? If I don't have to get law right to be saved, what's the point of going to church? If I don't have to get law right to be saved, why do I have to worry about purity in marriage? Why do I have to worry about no sex before marriage? Why do I have to worry about gossiping? Why do I have to worry? Why do I have to worry about law if it don't save me? Because my focus is on eternity. What does this matter? They're asking the same questions. And I know y'all y'all so holy, none of y'all have asked those questions, but that's what they're asking, right? The advantage is Jews, people of God, you got God's revelation before Jesus ever gave it. Before Jesus ever came to this earth, God gave you covenants and promises and the privilege of worshiping him before the rest of the world ever got a glimpse of who he was. My nation was Israel and the world was corrupt and totally fallen. So I revealed myself through this nation in the midst of a world that rebelled against me and I revealed my whole revelation of who I was to them first. And I gave them a God called the law. I gave them all kind of stuff. I gave them the ability to host my presence when they weren't right to host my presence. They couldn't carry the presence of God in their minds, in their souls, in their bodies. So I showed them how to build a certain thing to carry the presence of God called the Ark of the Covenant. I showed them how to build a temple. I showed them how to enter the courts, how to enter into the washing of, of hands and, and sacrificing lambs and, and, and washing of the blood and, and burning incense like prayers and establishing a priest and going in once a year. I gave them all of this stuff to get to me and no one else got it. There's a big advantage. I revealed the whole revelation of who I am to the Jews first. The issue came is that you began to trust the law and not the lawgiver. 
and you have a relationship with rules and religion instead of walking as sons and daughter with the, fa- with the father in a covenant relationship. Where's the value in what you gave us? What's the point in the law? The value is I gave a revelation to you of who I was before anyone else and you still rejected me because you valued the law and not the fact that I gave you access to who I am. Verse 3. Y'all getting this? True. Some of them were unfaithful. Meaning even though I revealed everything who I am, some of you still chose not to believe me. Some of you still rebelled against me. I had to destroy the earth once. I flooded it. Started all over. I gave Adam and Eve one command. They couldn't even do one rule. Take everything, but not one tree. Right? Some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean that God will be unfaithful? They got the whole revelation of who God was, and some of them were still unfaithful. Some still did not believe. And the question comes, if people don't remain unfaithful, does that mean that God will not remain faithful? Will God change his mind because you failed him? Just because a person does not glorify God, that does not mean that their actions are a mark of his actions. And we think, well, duh. But we do this all the time. Someone stabs you in the back and the first thing you say is, why did God let this happen? Because you look at their actions as the mark of his character. I thought God was my protector. I thought God was my provider. Well, why ain't God providing? My God is not a liar, so why are you calling him a liar? Because you just question his provision. I thought you were my shield, but my family got COVID. I thought God was going to provide for me. I pray, I go to church, I turn worship music on, I fast, but I just lost my job. Where are you at, God? You call me a liar? Just because someone displays something does not mean God has something to do with it, and it doesn't mean he didn't, but we automatically ask God, why did you? Because we tend to place God's character in what we're going through. And we say, God, are you unfaithful because I'm unfaithful? Because we worship the law and not the lawgiver. I'm doing all this stuff. You call yourself provider. Why ain't you providing? But God is not a liar. So if something is not being provided... It's either that God's a liar or we ain't getting something right. Verse 4. Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you'll be, this is about God. 
you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. God cannot tell a lie. Even if there is no truth ever found or truth ever preached, God is still true and justified in the claim that all had a chance. We read about it in Romans 1. I reveal myself through my very creation. Everyone has a chance to know who I am. Even if God is not being glorified, God is still glorified. He will be proved right in everything he says. He will be proved right and justified because he can use anything for a justified cause even if it doesn't look like justice and even if it's not part of the plan. Now we're going to get into some deep stuff. And some of you may not agree, and that's okay, but this is where we're going to go. He has a predestined plan for you. The Lord has established your steps. He says, I formed you, and I knew you, and I set you apart before you were in your mother's womb. Your mama and your daddy did not decide on you. God did. God decided that you were going to be created and that sometime when mom and dad came together, you were formed and fashioned in agreement with what you've already been formed and fashioned with. And he said, before you were formed physically, I already knew who you were. I knew the purpose for you on the earth. And I knew every plan I had for you. But in his goodness and justice, in Revelation we see that he says, I knock at your door and I wait for you to answer. That means, even though I have planned out your every step, you choose to walk in every step. You can walk in the path, or you can walk in your own path. I never predestined anyone for death, hell, or the grave. But you can sure as heck choose to walk out of what I planned for you. And what I appointed for you. Which means you have a choice. You can receive him. Or you can reject him. You can receive his path. Or you can reject his path. All are invited to the table. You get to decide to take your identity as the elect chosen people of God. He does not decide that. You do. In Acts 10, 34, it says this. Peter replied, I can see very clearly now. No, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. That means he didn't make everyone and said, some of you are going to burn and some of you are going to live. He says, I did not appoint anyone for wrath. 
Everyone was appointed and predestined to walk with me. But you are going to choose whether you accept it or if you reject it. Amen. <laughs> Father and sons, right? And daughters. Let's get correct. So because I will give everyone a chance to receive or reject, many will walk into things I never planned for you. So do not put their unfaithfulness as a mark of my plans. Do not tell me that what they're going through is something that I plan for them because if I am good, the moment you tell me I plan that for them, you just called my goodness a lie. That's all right? Because in a moment, if they answer the knock and they begin to seek me, I can take all of their rejection of me and make it work together for their good. I hear people all the time, I'm too old. He can redeem all the time in a moment. But you reject the idea instead of saying, Lord, do what you want to do. Show me the step because I have missed so many. That's called humble yourself before the Lord. I've got it wrong. Show me how you can work everything I've got. And I wish that everyone would get that. Especially my generation and younger. And the older generation. Because some of y'all in the older generation, and when I say older, I mean like, let's just say older. <laughs> y'all have got wisdom in things because y'all have walked stuff out. And if you would say yes to the Lord, I guarantee you that he will make things work together in such a way that the rest of your life will be spent fathering our next leaders. And if the 20s and 18s and 15s and 25s would say, yes, Lord, they wouldn't have to spend the rest of their life making a testimony that has to be redeemed. Y'all with me? God cannot be made out to be a liar. You fail in law, but if God calls you right, he says, his words are proved right in the courts of judgment, not the record of your past. If I call you right, my words hold weight, not your transgressions, because I was bruised for them. But God can also be justified in the idea that he cannot tell a lie. And those that walk in things he never wanted for them, even if they never walk back with them, because God's plans never fail. And what I mean by that is just because you don't walk into your purpose, don't you think that God's plans are dependent just on you? Because he's going to have his way, and he's going to do what he going to do. 
Joshua 21, 45. Not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. They will always come true, and that doesn't mean he is limited to one plan. Jesus is called the second Adam to restore the first idea, right? Adam lost it. Jesus had to fulfill it. But let me tell you something. Jesus was not the backup plan. Jesus was always the plan. Let me tell you why. He was always redemption because before Jesus became flesh, Jesus existed as the word. How was Adam created? How was everything created? The word. So Adam had life in Jesus before the fall, and we have to give life in Jesus after the fall. So whether man fell or not, the plan was always life in Jesus. It just had to go through a different means. The word, which was enough, had to become flesh. Now, having said all that, this is where I just want to get into the, the meat stuff. Let's talk about Judas. Y'all ready? Judas was told by Jesus, go and do what you must do. And Judas betrayed Jesus, which led to his arrest. The unfaithfulness of Judas led to a justified work of crucifixion. And we're quick to say Judas didn't have a choice. You sure? Because John 13, 2 talks about when Judas was at the table, it says, and you can read it, Satan told Judas, betray Jesus, not God. If it was God's plan, the father would have been speaking to Judas, not Satan. Jesus was simply wise. Go figure. He displayed the wisdom that put in the words that he put in the words of Solomon that says, Don't argue with foolish people. You know what foolish people are? They've already decided what they're gonna do, and nothing you're gonna tell them is gonna convince them otherwise. Because Judas made up his mind. And when Judas decided that the suggestion of Satan's conversation was good. Hey, if you betray him, you'll get that money. Because Judas had a history. I'm going to do whatever it takes to look out for number one, and I'm gonna, I'll be the treasurer for Jesus. I'll take, yeah, bring the tithes and the offering to the Lord. Yeah, this is for Jesus. Right? In a moment when the idea of money came about, all of his allegiance and love for Jesus went away by the suggestion of self-preservation. And it says in Luke 22, when Judas came into agreement with, with Satan saying, betray him, it says 
Satan entered into Judas, and then Judas went and betrayed him. And if you say that Judas was predestined to, to put Jesus there, that also must mean that you think so was Satan predestined. Satan had nothing to do with putting Jesus on that cross. The plan had nothing to do with Satan, and the plan was not in the hands of Judas. Because the moment you give credit for, to Judas, you just took the plan out of God's hands. The plan was God's. And he says, whether or not Judas betrays me or not, Jesus is going to the cross for my people. God knew. Y'all okay? God knew I will let Judas choose and I'm not going to try to argue with a fool and my words of go and do what you must will be justified in the end. Don't call me a liar saying I picked the wrong one. You okay? Just because God knows what a man will do doesn't mean it was his plan for you. Because what if Judas had a much greater purpose? God knows what we're going to do. Don't mean he planned it for you. He just knows the character of man. He knew you before you were created. He knows your weak places. That's why he says, know your weak places because when you are weak and rely on me, I am strong. I know your weak places and every time you get in the position of your weakness, you're going to fail. Just like Judas and just like Peter. I told the man you're going to deny me three times. Not because I predestined him to deny me but because I knew him. He was the flakiest flake among flakes. And in a moment, Peter panicked because he was all about, I've got to preserve my life instead of realizing that his life was preserved in the man that he denied. Because Jesus knew his weakness. And just in case we want to get in the conversation with Judas, Jesus is teaching in John of what John called many disciples about eating the flesh of Jesus, drinking the blood of Jesus, how Jesus lives because the Father lives in him. If anyone feeds on Jesus, we'll live forever for him and the Father. Well, look at what happens in John chapter 6, verses 63 to 71. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. That's interesting. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you don't believe me. Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. He knew it would happen. Doesn't mean he predestined that it would happen. He knew. He predestined them for something else, but he knew what they were going to choose. Verse 65, then he said, that's why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Why? We'll read this a little bit later. What does it mean the Father gives them to me? No one can seek God first. The Father's got to tug on your heart for you to respond with seeking. 
I'll get in that in a minute. And at this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. <laughs> disciples, church people. Verse 67. And then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words that give eternal life. And when we believe, we know you are the Holy One of God. Look at verse 70. Then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one's the devil. Now remember, this is written after the fact now. 71, he was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. But the word devil here, it came from Diablos. It does not mean Satan. It means betrayer. He was speaking of the character of the weakness of Judas. One of you by nature is a betrayer. And even though I know that that is your natural man, I still chose you and I still walk with you because your purpose for something else and I'm never going to give up on that purpose. Don't call God a liar just because you have decided to reject the purposes of his life. God never had anything planned for me. Yes, he did. God never wanted great things for me. You don't know what I grew up in. Don't call God a liar because of the choices of other people that led to other issues in your life that put you in a spider web of bad decisions. God never appointed you for that. You are in a fallen world of free will decisions where sin has run rampant and God says, I want to redeem you so that you can manage the thing that I restored to put it all back into the right path and purpose for your life. Think about Peter. He was making his living as a fisherman. Jesus comes on the spot and says, that ain't your purpose. You're a fisher, but you're fishing for the wrong thing. Right? Why did he point out Judas? Judas was given to me. Judas accepted the call, but it's up to Judas whether or not he walks it out or not. See, if Judas never betrayed Jesus, Jesus would have still gone to the cross because God's plans never fail. Jesus' death was not up to Judas. Don't take that out of the hands of God and put it in the hands of man. It would have happened either way. The unfaithfulness of men will never prove God wrong or unfaithful. God cannot change. And your opinion does not matter to God. And God will not change his word based off the consensus of men. And if we're God-like, the general opinion of the time should mean nothing to a believer. We're in a very real day. Evil is being called good and good is being called evil. And the church, in my opinion, I know my opinion doesn't matter based off what I just said. <laughs> but the church is the most mixed up people ever. We say that we're not of the world, but we respond to Issues in the world just like the world. And I know I've said it a hundred times, but if I have to say it a hundred times more to get people to see truth, I will. We respond to disease just like people who don't know God. 
We get a disease and we hide behind masks and distancing when God says, cure the disease by putting your hands on the people and praying for their healing. But we distance ourselves because we're scared of death, yet you claim you're saved in eternal life and you died years ago when you accepted him? Are you scared of the disease or are you scared of death, meaning you don't fear God, you fear death, which he already conquered? I took a snapshot of this because I, I know you holy people don't do Facebook, but I still do. But this is a, this is a quote from Smith, Smith Wigglesworth in 1939. In 1939, Smith Wigglesworth prophesied to Lester Sumrall about the final wave of God's glory. After that, after the third wave, he started sobbing. I see the last day revival that's going to usher in the precious fruit of the earth. It will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. And let me just stop right there for a second. You don't get a new revival by trying to replicate how old ones started. New wineskin, new wine. And new wineskin doesn't look like a fallen culture. It will be the greatest revival the world has ever seen. It's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. The ministry gifts will be flowing on the planet Earth. Watch this. I see hospitals being emptied out. They will bring the sick to churches where they allow the Holy Ghost to move. Can I just get real? Many prophecies have already come to pass. I believe that this will come to pass. But if the hospitals are going to be full and they're going to bring the sick to the churches, the churches can't be closed. And what's more, what a true apostolic church is, is not that we're trying to build mega houses. Because let's get really real. There's plenty of room in Savannah of buildings called churches. But if I'm going to get transparent, most of those churches wouldn't know how to handle if Memorial called and said, we got sick people and we don't know what to do, but something is telling us to bring them to your house. So what does the apostolic center do? God ain't a liar. And we're supposed to equip you, 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 and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you to know how to pray for a sick person to see healing. So it's not bring all the sick people here. It's, you know what? I need to send Jamie to compassion so she can teach them how to pray for a sick person. I need to send Jessica to CBC. I need to send Joe to, uh, do y'all see what I'm saying? Because we're going to equip people to send to the houses and equip them to, that's what an apostolic church does. We've got plenty of room. 
We just need to equip the people for the wave coming. Maybe that's why God has told this church not to be more than 200. Because with 200 people, we can cover 200 houses. That'll cover the hospitals. Our opinion does not matter to God. He says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I need you to walk in relationship with me. Romans 3, 5. If, this, if that Judah's conversation wasn't clear enough. But some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose. It helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? It's merely a human point of view. It's like Judas making the case, Lord, I know I betrayed Jesus, but you used it for good. And if I didn't do this wicked thing, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. Lord, I fulfilled the scriptures and walked in my purpose of betrayal, so you can't really judge me. <laughs> That's right. God would be like, Judas, don't you call me a liar. I used your wickedness, but it was yours. You had no pure motive when you betrayed him. You did it for your gain. Jesus as lamb on the cross would have happened with or without you. You two had something right. None of y'all don't get that. Judas will not get credit for a God who gave up his own life. Stop thinking that your past and your mistakes are predestined and stop thinking that your sin life is something that God wants for you. I hear people all the time, especially in recovery, the Lord needed me to build a testimony to minister for people. Can I just be real honest with you? The perfect testimony of Jesus is quite enough for people to get saved. He never planned for your destruction to have a better conversation than Jesus did. But he will most certainly use wrong choices and redeem it as a testimony. Isn't it unfair for God to punish us since he planned for us to sin? Verse 6, of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? God can only be qualified to judge the world by having the character of being entirely fair and not a liar. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6-8, God's just. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you, give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is a real from heaven in a blazing fire with powerful angels. He'll punish those who don't know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Deuteronomy 32, 3-4. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. He's just. All he does is just. And to put anything on him that is unjust in itself is ungodlike. So don't put the predestined path of hell on a God who can't lie. All his ways are just. 
even sacrificing the perfection of a lamb, a perfect lamb, Jesus. All his ways are just, leading people into paths that led to their martyr, being killed for the sake of the gospel. He knew what other people would do with it. Not that he wanted that, but he knew what would happen. It's still just because what is just? Glory to God. Because in one person's death, people still talking about why they died. And he gets the glory. Therefore, wrath is just, blessing is just, sowing and reaping is just. You reap what you sow. You reap when you sow good things, and you reap when you sow bad things. So if you reap in a lot of bad, don't blame God. You sowed something, and now you're reaping. Well, God redeemed me. I thought he was going to redeem everything. He redeemed you, but you're still held accountable for reaping what you sowed. So when you start to reap decisions you made in your past, your redeemed self manages the old you. Because when the old stuff starts creeping, it doesn't know what the new response looks like because it didn't know this new version of who you are. They don't know what this whole forgiveness thing looks like. They don't know what this whole turn the other cheek thing looks like. They don't get that. And God is revealed through the new you managing the old things you're reaping of. And when they don't get it, they'll usually separate themselves or come into a new thing themselves without any effort on your behalf. Because he is working on your behalf. Because he's being revealed through you. Verse 7. But someone might still argue, well, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. In other words, don't misunderstand the grace of Jesus. The law doesn't save you, but you don't get to live as a sinner because God does not lie. Because what did he just say in 2 Thessalonians? He'll punish those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So don't call yourself saved thinking that that's your get out of jail free card of not obeying. Well, you just said I don't have to obey. No, you don't. But out of true relationship, you'll want to. John says it himself, you can tell those who believe by whether or not they obey. You can't judge me. Mm -hmm. I don't, I judge your lifestyle. And I don't do the wrong judgment of condemnation because that's my father's job. But I am revealing things, making sure I'm taking the speck out of my own eye because I love you too much to see where you're going to end up. Whew. 
and if God don't lie, don't call yourself saved and you live a life not marked by what salvation looks like. Paul's saying, don't misunderstand my teaching on forgiveness. For God is a cash-in for you to go sin as you please and knowing that forgiveness is waiting on you. But on the other side, don't misunderstand. It is as simple as freely coming to God and saying, Lord, forgive me. But a true posture of coming to God and not wanting to use it as a free door at your disposal whenever you want. It's, Lord, forgive me. I repent. I never end that again. I have no more desire of that self. I want new. I want you. And the hard fact is, some of us who are true believers still mess up in things. And we're about to see what the scriptures say about it, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a little bit what it is. The law is meant to show you where you still sin. So if you're still messing up in something, it simply means you have never really repented in that area. You just said you're sorry. Because true repentance is not, I'm sorry. True repentance is, see ya. There are things, and I'll say this as your pastor, that I have truly repented of. And there are things when I look at the law that I realize I've simply said I'm sorry over and over. And it's not meant to condemn you. It's meant to show you. Thank you, Lord. Verse 9. Well, then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? These, these people ain't getting a dang thing. No, not at all. For we've already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Peter was under it. Judas was under it. Cain and Abel were under it. Cain killed Abel, but Abel was still under the power of it. Why? Because he still had to bring a first fruits offering of a lamb. So then, Paul starts to label what the nature of man looks like. Verse 10, as the scriptures say, no one's righteous, not even one. No one's truly wise. No one is seeking God. Y'all hear that? All turned away, all become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. What does it mean no one's righteous? Not even one. What about Adam? Wasn't he righteous before the fall? No, he was innocent. Well, why wasn't he righteous? Righteous would have meant that he knew good and evil. He was innocent in not knowing good and evil. And when he knew it, automatic fall. Because he wasn't right. Because he still had a nature that God had to deal with by giving him a law. Don't eat. It says no one's seeking God. Man doesn't naturally seek after God. 
Because when man initiates the search of, I'm going to find my God, he's usually just trying to find an idol. John 6, the only people come, who come to me is by the Father who sent me. He pulls on their hearts to embrace me. Don't you get so pious and prideful to say you started seeking God on your own behalf. You don't have the capacity to do it. No one does. No one ever has. Those who are drawn to me, I'll raise them up in the last day. That's why Judas embraced Jesus. The only way he came to him is that he answered a knock. But just like he answered that knock, he answered another one when Satan whispered. I don't believe that people can lose their salvation. But I do believe you can intentionally walk right out of it. It's not, I lost it because I stumbled. It's, I'm separate. Think about what Judas did over his life. I'm stealing, I'm stealing. Let, let, let's, let's pretend that this, this box right here is Jesus. And, he, and he's by Jesus when he first met him. And he's stealing, he's stealing, he's, he's thinking all these thoughts, he's doing all this stuff that's totally not of him. Everyone else is building a relationship, he's thinking of what he wants to do. And then one day, he gets a whisper from Satan at the Last Supper, and at that point, he is so far separated that it's so easy to just simply walk away. And out of his predestined purpose to walk with him. Y'all getting this? So the last two, I mean, think about, it says that people rushing to commit murder. First John 3 says if you hate someone, you're a murderer. That's our natural nature. So these last two verses we're talking about Romans 3 today. Obviously the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. To show that the entire world is guilty before God. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The purpose of the law was never to save you. It was to show you. That's what it still does. What does it mean that Jesus fulfilled the law? It was to show you your need for the Messiah. So he fulfilled it by saying, here I am. And I'm going to do what it never was designed to do. The law was never designed to save people. God revealed himself to the Jews first and then gave them a way to show them when they were far separated from who he was. And then he revealed himself to the rest of the world, Gentiles. And said, all that law, you don't have to do everything that they did. But let me show you how you know when you're apart from me. And here I am for you. And some will become faithful. And some will still remain unfaithful. But that doesn't change who I am. Because I'm God and I don't lie. I've got plans for you. I've got purpose for you. I've got destiny for you. And don't you ever think that those plans and purposes will ever be thrown to the side. I'll never give up on you. And I'm always going to be ready. But you have got to be answering the knock. You've got to see where your sin is so that you can see how far removed you are from me. 
not do to get right, but see how far you are away so that you can see your need for seeking relationship. Any relationship problem is solved the same way. It's not do this stuff. It's fall in love again. Same thing with Jesus. Let me show you why you don't love me. Because you're doing all this stuff shows that you have no relationship with me. You say you love me, but all you do is gossip. You say you love me, but all you do is lie. You say you love me, but all you do is murder by hating. You say you love me, but all you do is you get drunk. You say you love me, but you have envy. You say you love me, but you really don't. Or maybe another way to say it is like, look how shallow your love is. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. God saved you by his grace when you believe. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. None of us can boast about it. Salvation is from God. He makes you right. Nothing you do can do it. God cannot lie. He has a plan for you. And he wants to see those plans come to fruition. And if they don't, you can't say it's a lack on his part because he can never lie. He redeemed you for a purpose. So walk in the truth of all he's spoken over you and planned for you because he can't lie. He hadn't lied. He won't lie. And he wants to see you fulfilled in the promises that he has spoken over you before you ever entered into the realm called earth. God's not a liar. He's just. He's faithful. He's got plans for you. If you would just get hidden in him, he would show you everything purpose for you. So I would just say, church, let's start walking in purpose. No more, God, you failed me. No more, God, I don't have any purpose. No, 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 don't, don't, don't make God out to be a liar. No more, it's past my time. It's not past your time. If it was past your time, you wouldn't be here. No more, this isn't my day. No, that, that's calling God a liar. This is your day. It's something that I had to learn. It's something that I had to understand in my own identity. I never felt accepted anywhere in my life. Never felt like a part of anything. But then when I found out my story, I realized that God had a plan for me before I was ever born. When I found out that my mother was 14 and her first stop was the abortion clinic, but she was too far along. I knew that the enemy was trying to take me out before I was even born. When I found out that I'm an RH negative survivor and she didn't know what that was, so I never got the prenatal care. And the doctor started speaking curses over me before I was born saying he'll be autistic and he won't be able to talk and he'll die before he's 10 and he won't have any of, he won't be able to do all these things with his motor functions and all this. Curses were spoken before I was even born. 
then I found out years later when I met my birth parents that my birth mother had three people she chose from to adopt me. And the only reason she chose my wonderful mom and dad was because of one thing. They had the lowest income out of the three people, but their beliefs said Christian. And I always wonder, God, why, you know, Jesus, they never accepted Jesus in his hometown. So why am I pastoring a church in my hometown? And then I found out that I was conceived in Savannah, taken to Charleston, left in Charleston for 14 days, and the people who adopted me happened to be from Poole, Georgia. You see, because God had a plan. And no matter what man tried to do, God says, you ain't going to make me out to be a liar. So I promise you, get hidden in him, and he'll reveal the purpose. Amen? Let's stand. Lord, I just thank you that you, have, you love us so much, that you have plans for us, you have purposed things for us. And no matter what our minds try to come up with, no matter what man tries to say, you cannot be made out to be a liar. Your plans always come to pass. And I just say, Lord, we are a people that want to get so hidden in you that we no longer have scales or blur about what the plan is. That we will see clearly the steps you've put in front of us and we just say, yes, Lord, to the steps. And as we walk in those steps, Lord, it will not be a thing for us to boast in what we do, but to boast in who you are. That you're not a liar, you are the redeemer, that nothing we do earns it. It is by your grace and your love alone. No one loves like you. No one is great as you. No one is like you. You are the only thing this world needs. You are the only thing that hearts need. You're the only thing that minds need. You're the only thing that our bodies need, our souls, our spirit. You are the only thing we need, Lord. You're not a liar. And we just say, Lord, do what you want. Show us what we are. And thank you for your redemption plan. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. 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 Love you guys.